if you do your business and you go out, you do your business. If you're like, oh, I'm going to do a car wash or I'm going to do a, you know, I'm going to sell tacos or I'm going to do whatever. There's very few things that you would do in business where somebody would look at what you're doing and, and say, that fucking sucks. <laughs> like what you're doing sucks. Like, why would people buy that shit? You know? <clears throat> and, and there isn't, there isn't anything that kind of undresses you as hard as art. Hi, I'm Jason Phillips. And I'm Samir Saluja, and welcome to the Bolivia 12 podcast. We served in the Peace Corps from 1995 to 1997 in Bolivia. Specifically, our group's name was Bolivia 12, as in the 12th group of volunteers assigned to work in the country of Bolivia after the program returned in the early 90s. Our guests will feature inputs from many of our fellow Bolivia 12 returned Peace Corps volunteers. Two and a half decades after our close of service, we are seeking the perspectives of our fellow Peace Corps volunteers on a wide range of topics and reflecting on our shared experiences. Welcome to the Bolivia 12 podcast. In our first podcast, we had the opportunity to sit down with our good friend and fellow Bolivia 12er, Araby Patch, who served in a small town outside the city of Santa Cruz from 1995 to 1997. We spoke with Araby for a few hours in March, just after our first month of quarantine, and really went deep on how we can apply lessons we learned as Peace Corps volunteers to new experiences and challenges ahead. We also had a chance to reconnect and bond over a few drinks. In our conversations with Araby, we talked about a wide variety of things, uh, notably internal strength, vulnerability and detachment, and social distancing and the hero's journey. This is the benefits of isolation in the age of quarantine, a returned Peace Corps volunteer's perspective. All right, so we're starting this thing, man. This is the first time, uh, uh, first official podcast recording for Bolivia 12. It's it's only taken us a couple of days to get here. <laughs> we started, this has like literally been more than six months to actually get to this point. Well, not, not in, in, fairness to, in fairness stuff when when you do it one saturday a week you know it's, 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 it's all, really like one saturday a week maybe for the last month but yeah, you know yeah. we and then before that was like one saturday a month and then before that it was like one saturday for five months so it's like i think we had we had this idea last fall like in the fall yeah and i had a trip to argentina in between it <laughs> that's that's true that's true and we had a pandemic happened here, well sir. that's right we're that's right we uh, did have a pandemic Actually, yeah we are having a pandemic welcome by the way this is the bolivia 12 podcast if you have <laughs> we haven't we haven't mentioned that yet but i'm samir saluja <laughs> we and and jason phillips is here and hey uh, everybody no but i think what's interesting is that you know in this first uh podcast where you know we got a chance to sit down with Airby. Gosh, it's been three months ago now. I can't even keep track of stuff. It was in it March. Was, it was in it March. Was in and we're in March. It was literally right when it was announced that we were going into quarantine. Yeah. So we'd been a little bit into quarantine. I think maybe I, a maybe, weekend or maybe something. A week, like maybe a weekend. Maybe a weekend. And, uh, you know. You know how I know? How do you know? I went back and looked, I went back and looked at our <laughs> video and I had short uh, hair. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got, and I've got massively long hair now too. So, but it's just crazy how much just looking back at the video, at the audio clip over the last um, day, how much have our attitudes changed? Maybe have, uh, have, has everything just kind of like continuous transformation happening? Not just us, obviously uh, we're lucky, but just like uh, all around the world and you know, things are getting a little bit crazy and things are getting tough for people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think when we recorded, we were maybe a little bit hopeful and obviously we, there still are a lot of benefits to being in quarantine that we're kind of reconnecting with that we can recall from our memory bank from when we were Peace Corps volunteers. But I think you were mentioning this to me last week, yeah, perspective, I mean, which I thought was great. Yeah, so going back to you know, the beginning of this, you know, quarantine, COVID, it's scary. It's never good, right? But we were at the beginning of that. And I remember through the conversation with Araby, we came away from that saying, hey, you know, quarantine bad, COVID-19 bad, obviously. But hey, what are some positive things that could come out of a quarantine where we're all in isolation? Yeah. Which is really the theme of the show, right? And we have several yeah. sub-themes that we want to get into today. But, you know, what's interesting is that at that time was uninformed optimism, right? We, we had no idea what this was really going to be like. And we were sort of thinking about the creative process, the creative experience, you know, all kinds of things that we can do to create some positivity out of this, which I think still holds true to some extent. But I don't think we had any idea about some of the challenges and how difficult it would be on a personal level and even on a global level just the isolation and the stress of things that, that are out of your control and what that does to you, you know, on a, on a, even a daily basis. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's when, yeah. And so like, you know, when we were in the Peace Corps, cause a lot of what we're doing here is kind of, you know, we're able to like connect, reconnect with our close friends from many years ago that we've kind of lost touch with. And, and we've got many more interviews scheduled and we're so excited about that. But when we were in Peace Corps, there was a beginning and an end and, and we were looking forward to another change happening. And it's just the the uncertainty of when this is going to end that kind of creates that higher level of anxiety. Um, For sure. Well, and the other thing is, is we chose to do that, right? Yeah, we chose that's true. To put ourselves that's, in, that, that's, that's true. in that circumstance <laughs> and we were looking you know, forward to the adventures and the challenges this is completely different. Uh, nobody chose to be in this circumstance. Yeah. And I think that for me, that was the major, like, aha. Uh-huh. I'll admit, you know, there have been days throughout these weeks and months where I've just been, God, why, why am I, you know, I feel bad. Why, why can't I, you know, usually I can break out of that, right? A little bit easier. But I think it's partly because I didn't choose to be here and it's out of my control. And that's, that's not a good feeling. Mm-hmm. And then also just, since our interview with Araby, obviously this is our first podcast, but the first time getting a chance to talk again like this, the George Floyd death mm-hmm. happened. And then of course, um, the, the country, the, the streets are, are alive and, and the people are expressing themselves and there's going to be change and there, there's going to be a lot of change. This is, this is a very transformative time. I feel, and I feel it's very different than other times we've faced it, it even feels a lot like people have made, you know, not not the George Floyd thing, but the pandemic reference uh, to uh, September 11th. This feels even a little bit more different. It feels more transformative. Oh, without a doubt. We've had enough. We can't do this anymore. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's brand new times, brand new challenges, and there's no playbook for any of this stuff. So everybody's going to be responding in a very unique manner. And uh, hopefully there'll be a playbook on how to make our, our country 
feel better again. So that's, that's kind of the main thing. So speaking of when we went to the benefits of isolation, we were talking when yep. everything was brand new and we were not in this kind of ongoing wondering when this is going to end. A lot of this stuff still kind of applies. And, and, and I like what you said before, where ultimately we only have one life. We have to figure out how to make the best of the situation. If we're going to be in quarantine for the next however many years, we have no idea how long, you know, I mean, I, it's not going to be that long, I don't think, but I'm just saying we just have to not even worry about it. We just have to hunker down, figure it's a marathon and figure out how to make the best of it. And I do find myself going back to, I guess, brain muscles or you know, thoughts that maybe I had when I was mm-hmm. in Peace Corps and had the, the, the extended period of time where you're also in the middle of nowhere. You don't know, you don't know where, it, where you are. You don't know, you're kind of trying to figure stuff out wherever you are. And so just that, that whole idea. So the first, you know, kind of the first conversation that we had with Araby was around this idea of, uh, are we building internal strength during the quarantine? And did not just that. But right. And, and just jumping on you right there. Yeah, the, go, go the for part it. of why we got into that is because I think we all sort of concluded, and I know a lot of our you know, listeners who were in the Peace Corps or some similar experience, right, can relate. Okay, you're thrown into a new situation. You got to make the most of it. And a lot of it's solitary. Not all of it. You know, there's a lot of socializing. A lot of it's solitary. And so we got onto this topic of internal strength, right, which is how to... Uh, you know, there's this process that you go through when you're kind of a newbie in the Peace Corps, when you're sort of in the middle, and then when you're sort of in the end. And I think we all concluded that we came away with this internal strength, this knowing that, hey, okay, I, I got through that and I actually thrived and I learned how to be with myself. I learned how to not fear isolation as much, yet embrace it. And and we talked about lots of different ways that we did that, reading, creativity, working, whatever. So I think that's kind of where that discussion about internal strength came from. Yeah, absolutely. And listening to the the clip again, one of the discussions that I just really enjoyed was this whole idea about how we all kind of learned how to read. I mean, we all read before. I mean, we in Airbnb, in fact, was an English uh, major in college, right? And he was a editor of a college newspaper, University of Hawaii. So obviously we all read, but never read in the discipline that we did when we were in Peace Corps. So in this first clip, Airbnb kind of just goes deep into reading. We kind of have a discussion about, do we even read anymore? Uh, how do we get back to that? And this is sort of us thinking about ways that we can, you know, kind of improve ourselves during this time of isolation. Let's check it out. We're doing something about it. Oh, was it a fight in Italy? No. No, weren't you writing something about something? You were writing something about some sort of sport or fighting in Italy, weren't you? You were. Yeah, yes. But it was yeah. the uh, the polio, if you know the polio. I don't know the polio. So the polio is Jason, in, do, you know, do you know the polio? No. It's in polio. So it's, a, it's this. There was a documentary on it you can watch that was actually really good. But basically, okay. this town, uh, which I can't remember the name of it, has all these neighborhoods. Every neighborhood has a horse. And they have a race once a year in the town square. And you can look it up. It's the most intense because the corners aren't, you know, it's not like an oval. So the corners suck. They build the, it's just a normal town square. And then, you know, one day a year they have this race. So they build the track. So some of the corners are really hardcore. And uh, dirt track? It, yeah, like a dirt track. And then the whole town just packs into the square. And I mean, it's super intense. It's it's basically life or death, man. Like if your neighborhood wins, you know, you're bragging for the rest of the year. And if your neighborhood loses, then the rest of the year sucks. So it's this, I mean, it's a really interesting 
um, you know, cultural phenomena that survived from like the 1500s or something forever. That sounds but, fucking awesome. Yeah. So the idea was some American kid goes, it's basically like, like, you know, the new karate kid, but in Italy with a horse race. That's that's like that's exactly how you would pitch it too, right? Like yeah, exactly. That's how you pitch it. Yeah, it's a karate kid. It's a karate kid on horses. Book, but with that as the no, no, not a book. It was a screenplay that I was working uh, with a partner of mine on. So it was it was his baby, and and actually he, you know, we that dude talked to everybody, man. He talked to Devito. He talked to Mel Gibson. He talked to (laughs) a lot of people about about that project. That's kind of you know typical film thing where they, they get going, you think it's going to happen and then it doesn't. It's just yeah. like on and on and on. Yeah. It takes a long time for that shit to forever. To life. Mm-hmm. So did, did, uh, so did you try pitching that for a while or what was that like? I wasn't really doing any of the pitching. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was really, to be honest with you, I was just doing the writing. So are you still writing or are you done with that? You know, I am, uh, I'm dabbling again and very interested in it. So it's, it's, uh, I can feel it coming. So I'm kind of trying to respect that while at the same time, it's really, really hard. I mean, I was looking at your questions here and, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, the one that keyed me was the, uh, the music and books. Yeah. To be honest, like I can barely read a fucking pamphlet anymore. I can barely read a business card. I'm, I'm like you, but I, well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people yeah. read me a bit, they give me a business card. And I'm like, I don't even get to the end of it. I'm just like, uh, <laughs> honestly, yeah. Send me a video. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think, I don't know what happened where I just can't, you know. It happened to all of us. Books. Yeah, and it's, it, well, I don't know what it is because I do have friends that read books and then you hear like, mm-hmm. you know, people are like, oh, CEOs read, you know, 45 books a year. And I'm like, how the fuck are these guys reading, you know? And you uh, got fucking two kids that are really young. That's how. Yeah. They don't nah, have that's bullshit. That's totally bullshit, man. I, I think, think so. your life is no, busy. No, because when I was when I was in New York, when I was living in New York, and you're on the train and you're in these moments where you just you know, you're basically reading to stay sane, you know? So you're just crushing books because you're sitting on a bus or you're sitting on a train or you're doing something like that. And as soon as I moved to LA and I was no longer I never I no longer had these like moments where you know, where you just kind of stuck you know, and there's nothing to do. You can either look at your phone or read a book. Right. And, uh, I mean, even in New York, you couldn't, you couldn't be on your phone in the subway when I was there, you know, you, you just were, you were in a dead zone. So I think, I think those moments kind of facilitated reading, you know, a lot of reading and a lot of people do read in New York because, you know, there's nothing else to do on the subway. So, and, and that's, uh, uh, but that's actually changed. Cause I think they're, sorry, go ahead, Jason. I was going to say, it's, uh, I mean, you know, also it's been replaced by digital access to, you know, everything. I mean, you know, we're entertained. We are entertained by so much that's available to us and coming to us all the time that, you know, you just don't pick up a book anymore. But I also, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, you know, we're all about the same age, you know, maybe it's because uh, I, I, it's funny. I find myself in the same thing. I, I've, I've been a, a voracious reader, you know, definitely through my 20s and through my 30s but when i got into my 40s it started to slow down and um i really kind of have that conversation with myself all the time of like god i need to start picking up books again you know and uh, um i i make commitments to myself but i don't do it so i don't know yeah it's i I think i think it's bullshit i think you can i think you you know because in the peace corps man we used to read 
Bro, I would read a book a day, man. That's what I'm trying to say. There's the, the part of it's time, but then you, I don't know. I really learned, honestly. I mean, I was an English major in college, right? Yeah, but I mean, uh, like I was an English major in college, but I didn't really start reading until Peace Corps. And that's where I learned how to read, you know, and I still had a dictionary by my side. I would read, you know, through these books, but I really, I don't know. I learned how to read very quickly while still sucking down all the information, you know, and that, I don't know, I carried that skill into New York while I was in New York the whole time and through all the screenplay stuff. And then when I was, uh, you know, teaching, same reading like crazy. And then when I, when I started to, uh, you know, live in LA more, I just, you know, you don't have those idle moments and then everybody's, you know, it's just a different conversation. Like it just isn't a cultural thing to read. I think that's the interesting conclusion is that it's not, it's not really a cultural thing to read anymore. I mean, we're not, people just don't read anymore. People, I mean, people do read. I, I don't want to paint a broad brush like that, and, but I tend to read a lot for work and I, I know and maybe it's the time that we're in, but if you look at younger generations, they do listen to a lot of content. They look at a lot of content mm -hmm. online. And if they're reading, I guess they're reading online, but then also they're listening to books. And I guess that's another form of reading. It's just not actively it's just not the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's consumption of information. And I guess the, the thing is, if you're consuming a, a fictional book or you're consuming a fictional TV show, was one better than the other? Not necessarily. Although, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe scientists or doctors would say that there's some sort of improved cognitive process that happens when you're actually taking words off of paper and putting them into your brain and you're I think there is. Exercise, exercising your brain a little bit. So there yeah. is something to that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but the other thing is, as I was listening to that clip, I was kind of thinking about that. And, you know, everybody's right. I mean, there is, you know, that is kind of bullshit, right? We just have to sort of get into that mode and appreciate it, right? It's easy to be entertained. It's easy to sit down and watch the news. It takes a little bit of effort, I guess, to pick up a newspaper. And I got to say, that's the one thing that I will give myself a little bit of credit for is I, I still subscribe to a newspaper. Like I want print newspaper and <laughs> my kids think I'm crazy. Other people think I'm crazy because it's all digital. But what I love about the newspaper is I know that it took time to develop that story typically, you know, especially if it's a series or, you know, a bigger story that's coming out in several articles. And boy, I fear that, you know, I'm all for progress. I'm all for faster, better and all that kind of stuff. But boy, there's a debate raging right now about the lost art of journalism. I do think that there's, uh, uh, you know, benefit to sitting down and working through a well thought out, edited, critical piece, whether it's a book or an article, versus just kind of lazily, passively receiving information through some news program, which is newstainment these days, or some other thing. Oh, yeah. And I, I think you have the opportunity to go much deeper if you're reading. And I do find myself reading a lot more, um, you know, right now. Uh, I think another reason why I'm reading a lot more during the pandemic times is because the content that's on TV is either overwhelming, like just in terms of like, there's only so much you can take. You can take some small doses of the news that's on TV because mm -hmm. you kind of need, you need the major bullet points, but it, it gets to be mentally exhausting 
Yes. And then the other piece I would say is older kind of shows are, you know, they're, unless they're like really old, where I just kind of take myself to a completely different time, they're, yeah. or just things that even happened last year are hard to relate to. <laughs> even right. sport, even sports, <laughs> you know, like the sports replays, they're just hard to relate to. So I find myself actively looking for things to read more than I have maybe since Peace Corps time. And that's happening now. That's definitely sure. happening now. To bring it back to our theme is internal strength, and reading is one of those things that helps to build that. I guess I'm more open to that now, and I'm, I'm glad for it, you know? So if we're looking for some silver lining out of this, that's definitely one of those things, right? Is I'm finding the joy in that again, and getting something out of it. So another piece of internal strength from the conversation we got into with Araby was he was telling us about his friend, Brendan, who is an artist and has been yeah. an artist for 25 years. And I think he was referencing that, you know, Brendan learned how to, you know, build um, that internal strength of not paying too much attention to your self-criticism, that internal dialogue that, that we all have. He was talking also about how he was super prolific. Like I didn't, re-listen to that part of the clip because I knew you were, but I, he was like, remember I just, what stood out to me was how prolific the guy was in terms yeah. of like producing stuff. Exactly. And it kind of tied in with, with what we're all going through now with the, the quarantine is, you know, I think a lot of people are trying new things in terms of creative outlets. Right. And we got into that discussion and, and it just brought up um, uh, a really interesting conversation about, freeing yourself to do that by somehow learning how to uh, turn off the self-doubt. So maybe we'll take a listen to it and then, and then chat about it a little bit more. Yeah. And then what I'm saying is, is it's not, it's not listening to somebody say that to you because that's just a, a very brief little moment. It's the part that tears you down is afterwards your own head. Yeah. Like just fucking with you, yes. you know, and that's the part when you look at a guy like Brendan is he doesn't do that. He never does that. He's, he doesn't fuck with himself. You know, he just kind of, he just, he's like, Oh, whatever. If you don't like it, then somebody else will. And what you, what you realize is like, like I met Justin Bieber. He's cool. He's a fucking cool kid. Nice guy. I met the Jonas brothers. Super. I love those guys. Right. And everybody like people fucking hate on these kids and all these kids are doing is just making music and having fun. And people just like, I mean, the vitriol for like those guys is insane. And they're just kids doing their thing. And part of that bravado that you feel and that cockiness is just a defense mechanism because 50% of the people fucking hate him and 50% of the people love him. And, and every single famous, successful person I know uh, or have read about or understood has that. People just fucking, people hate people, man. People hate Michelle Obama. Like people just hate people because they got nothing else to do. So you have to be somebody who doesn't internalize that dialogue. And, and when people see people like that, they're like, oh, he's fucking cocky. Look, he thinks he's so good. You know, it's like, no, no, no. He's just got, he's just not listening to you. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, what's coming to mind on that one for me, Jason, is that I hadn't heard that since we, we had that conversation, but with the pandemic and everything, you're contemplating your mortality. I mean, let's face it. You've talked, you've probably thought about it. I think about it. I mean, we, my wife and I talked about redoing our will and all kinds of stuff like that. And so I was reading something like a Wired magazine from like a couple of years ago, but they were talking about this app 
called We Croak. And it's basically based on this. There is an app for freaking everything. <laughs> I highly recommend this app. I don't want to plug this app or anything, but this, uh, okay. well, I plug it, I'll plug it. But basically, it's based on this Bhutanese philosophy that uh, you need to contemplate death at least five times a day to achieve true happiness. So I've, I have downloaded that app. And I feel like I have that, like since I downloaded that app and I kind of get these reminders and it's just like quotes from famous people about death, five of them a day. I feel like since I got that, I've been insanely productive. And I don't know if that has wow. something to do with it, but I also feel a little bit less fearful. Like I feel like I'm in my own way sometimes. Is it, and, so, so has it helped you to gain perspective on what's happening yeah. right now and, and sort of compartmentalize all of this and not it's, let it overtake you, that kind of thing? Exactly. It's helping me to not be fearful to the point of inaction. And I think mm -hmm. at this point, human beings cannot afford to be that way. And I think because we've been accustomed to living a certain lifestyle and we've had technology, especially in this country, kind of pervading mm -hmm. a lot of things and making certain tasks more easy for us, I think uh, we don't take the time to really sit down and contemplate death. There, there are certain tasks for a lot of us, especially if we're, if we're, if we're uh, working at a job in technology like I do, you're not really spending that time outside of a screen there's so much screen time so much time connecting with other people it's hard to take a step back and really contemplate mortality i, I assume people that are religious do that probably you know and mm -hmm. i'm not religious you know I, you know right. i don't think you I'm not, I'm not sure if you are i don't think you are right. and so like yep. so so um i'm not like i'm not like an atheist but like i'm, I'm kind of agnostic agnostic but i find myself contemplating death and then thinking, don't be so scared because who knows what's going to happen. And we only have one life to live and you want to try to impart your vision. You're, you want to build things. I mean, if, if, if we're here for any reason, it's for that. So in yeah. thinking about what Airby's talking about, he's really talking about people that are being creative and not really caring. Maybe these are people that are somewhat fearless, you know? Yeah, I would agree with all that. And he references buddy Brendan who I think grew into that. Like you don't start out, you have to kind of learn that. Maybe some people are born with it, but you learn how to be comfortable with yourself, partly because you know that you've got to, uh, especially if you're trying to support yourself as an artist or through some form of creativity, you have to A, produce a lot of work and you have to B, comfortable exposing yourself right not not like some dude in a trench coat but you know <laughs> putting it all out there right which i know he gets into later and i think we might pick up on, on a later clip but you know and there's there's power in that there's power in building confidence in that it uh, makes you feel good it's like hey this is who i am i'm gonna put it out there and i'm gonna let the world judge it and if you don't love it that's okay i thought it was a good uh, conversation again tying back to this whole building an internal strength and we're kind of in this period right now where people are maybe again more willing to experiment with that stuff and they're finding the beauty in it um, I, th I think we're actually kind of we've naturally segued into the second theme which was this whole thing about vulnerability and detachment because mm -hmm. if i'm recalling that it was precipitated from this initial conversation where Araby brought up right. his friend brendan and talking about his fearlessness and then also just his ability to be vulnerable Right. And one of the questions I'd written down or we'd written down was, are we more willing to explore our creativity while in quarantine? And uh, because the entire world is going through the same thing and are we thus less inhibited? I think we were just, we're just kind of talking about that right now. And if you think about detachment, though, the clip that I wanted to share was, it always amazed me. Airbnb's like 
been very creative and I've always been impressed by his ability to kind of detach. And we went into this conversation about detachment and family life and how hard that can be and how important it is to be disciplined and a variety of other things. So Airbnb went deep on that. Here, check it out. It feels less cultural than it is to me. It's, it's not that I can't do it because I'm pretty sure I could do it. Um, because old people can read too, man. I mean, I read books to my kid all the time. The, the fact of the matter is I do read and I read, I just pound like right now it's, you know, everything about COVID-19 and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I'm reading for my job, I'm reading and writing all the time, like constantly. Well, yeah, and I agree with you. It's not necessarily a question of time. You know, you know, lack of time is always kind of an excuse. People could find time, make time, even with two young kids. And I've got two middle and teenage kids, but... It's, it's mind share and mental space. I, I saw some statistic the other day that, you know, during your 40s, this is probably the most intense time of your life in terms of, you know, typically this is when you've got your kids that are still at home and your career and everything else that you're trying to do. Not that that doesn't happen in the 30s, but your 30s, you're coming out of your 20s, you're becoming an, maybe more of a mature adult, but in your 40s, I mean, you're, you're thinking about your retirement I don't know. It's just a, it's a maximized time. And I think your brain is pretty maxed out between putting food on the table, planning for your future, trying to set your kids up for success, being a good husband, being a member of the community and trying to find some shit to enlighten yourself. I think the enlightenment part takes a back seat, not necessarily because of time, but because I, you know, maybe you don't have enough space no. in your head. I totally agree. I think it's, it's probably because we care, we're, we're empathetic, and, and it's hard for us uh, to become detached. I always felt like you, Araby, were really good at be, being a detached. I don't, think, I don't think I've ever known anybody that's been so easily detached, like be able to like <laughs> pick up and leave and go to like, oh, yeah. I'm going to the Azores, man. Like, yeah. okay, like whatever. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, I don't think I've ever known anybody that's been able to do that. But it's interesting hearing you talk about this now because – you know, they're, they're with the kids and everything like that. It does kind of change. It changes a lot of stuff. I don't agree, though. I, I'm, you, you know, I, well, I want to hear it because I want to hear. Yeah, it's like it's it's still, um, you know, and I get it, Jason. I, I hear everything you're saying, and it is it's overwhelming. It can be very overwhelming, but there there's still just choices. And I watch. I guess not that you know this is anything, but but. Uh, like the CEO of the company or these guys that I've, you know, had been lucky enough to kind of mentor under, let's say. And they just seem to have like, you, you feel like you have eight hours a day to work. And these guys seem like they have 36 and they have kids and they have all those other things. And then on top of it, they have way more pressure from investors and all these different things. And you have to detach you because the, the reality is, and I realized this when we went to Bolivia, when we first, I'm sure you guys had the same sort of time warp experience where you get there and you feel like, man, there's nothing going on in this fucking town, you know? And then you're there for three, four months and your days are just packed and you're really not doing anything, but you have somewhere to be like all the time. And it's kind of like, you can just get yourself without saying no in the right places and kind of managing that you can paint yourself into a corner. And I think you can still write books and do cool shit with kids and jobs and all these things going on. You just have to be more more disciplined than I am for sure you know yeah but in my thinking I know I can do it I just I need to kind of rope myself in a little bit and get 
routine or get something going and I would be able to produce these things. Cause anytime I've ever done anything like that, it's, uh, you know, I've had a job before and you, know, you just got to dial in and fucking get up at the same time every day and just figure it out, plan it out and then just execute it. And my personal perspective on it is I've just been too fucking lazy to do it basically. <laughs> like <clears throat> you're just being lazy, maybe being complacent is part of being where we're at right now, age wise, I guess. I don't know. But it's definitely there. I can see it. I can, you know, I know I can get it. I know I have these two just fucking amazing, you know, ideas for books that I'm like dying to get after. And they're short and they're easy. And so it begs the question for us, man, would we have even gotten this far if it wasn't for the pandemic? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah, yeah. What, what have we detached from, right? To be able to, to, and you have to detach to enable you to do this kind of thing? No, but I think Airbnb has this unique ability to detach, and I think some people do. And I think when you detach, you can, you have more time. If you're able to figure out somebody else has got other people in your lives covered, they're fine. You know, you don't need to be, there's like a, there, you don't need to be completely present. Then you, you veil yourself with more time. I'm not saying Airbnb's like that, but I'm saying like, definitely, I know executives that are like that. I'm mm-hmm. sure you do too. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of like, that's kind of what happens, right? And so like for, I think we do, I, I agree with what you were saying in that clip, which is time. You know, it's hard to have time to do these things. And uh, I feel like I have more time or at least... I have less demands on my time because like you're not commuting anywhere, not driving anywhere and all that extra time kind of adds up. And so yeah, we have a little bit more time, you know. So you were going to talk about uh, vulnerability is kind of the next thing. And this goes back to that kind of art discussion and being creative and being willing to, to be vulnerable. So the clip that I picked here, I, really the, the most important thing is the last thing he says, which is something along the lines of, you know, nothing undresses you more than criticism of your art. And it just uh, stayed with me because I know that any time in my life that I've ever uh, been any good at creative pursuits, I've had to fully commit to doing it and be willing to be vulnerable. And there's a strength there in saying, okay, no matter what, I'm doing this because I'm getting something out of it. And I really do hope people like it, but if they don't, that's okay. So maybe we listen to the clip and we'll chat a little bit more about it. You gotta do it every day. That's and that's and that's kind of his mantra. And that's what you know, we're talking about, you know, you do things in collaboration uh his his line of work is very solitary as well so he has to get up every day no boss nobody telling him what to do he's got to figure out what he's going to do by himself and then he's got to execute it and then he's got to go out and try to fucking sell it and then do that again you know go to bed do it again in the morning what's it's kind of like like 25 years it's it's like i mean it's like having your own business we're i'm two years into my own business and i have a process that I do every day well, if there's not a meeting, but there's things that I do and things that I need to kind of check off my mental checklist by the end of the day. So you have to, it's, it really does become about the quantity of output at some point. I mean, you have to make sure you're not wasting time. 
and maybe that's a business standpoint, like from an artistic standpoint, I guess maybe you don't have to worry too much about the strategy involved with doing a piece of art. You don't have to worry too much about what kind of tactics you're going to use. You're just creating something from within. But if you have your own business, and Jason, you know this too, you just wake up every day, you have to get as much shit done as you can and then hope that the more shit you get done, stuff just ends up happening for you. And it's, it's a, a parallels there. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> I, I think there are some parallels. It's like, uh, yeah. you know, you got to go out and you just got to get up the bat. You got to get up the bat. Kind of like what you're talking about, Irby, is Brendan, you know, he's getting up the bat and he's hitting, what'd you say, 30%? So he's hitting 300. That's me personally. I like 30% of what he does, but some people like more. Some people hate every single thing the guy does. Okay. So, but, but he doesn't see the thing that he does that, and this is where, this is where the difference is, I think, because especially like if you do your business and you go out, you do your business. If you're like, oh, I'm going to do a car wash or I'm going to do a, you know, I'm going to sell tacos or I'm going to do whatever. There's very few things that you would do in business where, somebody would look at what you're doing and, and say, that fucking sucks. <laughs> like what you're doing sucks. Like, why would people buy that shit? You know? <clears throat> and, and there isn't, there isn't anything that kind of undresses you as hard as art. That's yeah. definitely true. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, <laughs> I think that's, that, that, that goes in with like this whole fear, right? There's a fear of being judged. Yeah. It's also like if you're doing something creative, I guess the, the underlying assumption is that you're not really looking to get paid for it, typically. And maybe that's not true, but some people are good at, at doing things that are quote unquote creative. But I, there's this sign of underlying, like you with like movies, you're trying to get your point across. You're trying to connect with people with art, with you're doing the same thing. You're trying to connect with other people. That tends to be the, the, primary objective is to make a connection with other people or you're bringing out yourself in a way to connect with other people or connect with people that maybe under appreciate that there is i i get that there's sometimes a monetary uh goal behind that but the the artist is and i think we tend to judge things like that i mean we judge movies and things like very formulaic very, you know, it follows kind of a simple rubric or it's like very sim very similar to other movies. It's literally, it's just kind of a box office thing trying to make money. We, we, we kind of undress movies like that. I mean, you and I both do. <laughs> so like, oh, for sure. Yes. <laughs> and, and, we, and we are yeah. thinking about, we are thinking about who might have, we're not, we're, not, we're not consciously thinking about it, but we do want to see people that are really being authentic to their true self. I think that for sure. And if you're going to put out art, right, commercially, and we got into this discussion about, you know, doing art for art's sake versus, you know, trying to do it commercially and making a living at it. If you're going to do it commercially, you have to do a lot of it and you have to be willing to be vulnerable, right? And you hear artists talk about that all the time and have the strength to get you through if your art is not well received, you know, and you go on to the next one. I mean, let's face it, artists don't just do art because it's self-satisfying and they don't show it to anybody. They do it because they want people to appreciate it. And that they, has to do with that human connection that you're talking about. They do. And, and the best artists, I think, are the ones that are the most willing to put it all out there um, because they are showing 
it's it's not formulaic. It's not something that you know anybody can do. It's it's just it's, it's kind that's of, unique. And yeah. It's kind of interesting. There's this, a famous metaphor about Pablo Picasso and inflation. And so he was obviously in his day a very famous artist, and a lot of artists become famous after they die, right? right. But he, but he was famous when he was alive. The the thing that was really interesting was he was notoriously cheap but wouldn't have these lavish dinners and go out to the fanciest restaurants in New York. But what he would end up doing was he would write like a check for like a hundred dollars or which was like a ton of money back in the day or 400 bucks or whatever it was. And in the back, he would, he would draw something. He would make a drawing and sign it Pablo Picasso because he knew that the restaurant he would give that to would not cash the check. They would want to frame it. They'd want to have his, you heard, and then at some point people were like starting to, like there were so many of these things that they wanted to, they wanted to start cashing cashing it. Yeah. They wanted to start cashing these, uh, these checks. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, it became worthless. And like everybody knew what Thomas Gotts was up to. So it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because like he probably built his reputation by connecting people become for becoming authentic. But then at some point, I guess, Sold, he sold out in a way <laughs> because he, yeah, he was just, <laughs> yeah. But you know, to, to cap that off, you know, nothing mm-hmm. addresses you as hard as art. Um, yeah, you know, not to say that you don't get undressed in business. Yeah, undressed. Okay. <laughs> not, not to say that you don't take criticism and you know harsh criticism in business. If your product or service isn't any good, people aren't going to buy it. And you're, you know, you're going to fail. But it's not to the same level of kind of what we're talking about here with the creative process or the willingness to go to your inner soul and put that in whatever work of art it is that you're putting out. Oh yeah. 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 You're right. Yeah, it's true. Okay, so the last theme that we distilled from our great conversation we had with our buddy Herbie Patch, this idea of sort of, we kind of went a little bit deeper into behavioral change. I guess we kind of went, we went into a couple different types of tangents and we talked about uh, behavioral change, what we're going through right now, things going on with regards to the country being very fragmented right now. And we started talking about how in the Peace Corps, and you and I have talked about this too, just the sense that we were able to be friends with a lot of different people uh, from different mm-hmm. backgrounds. Let's listen to the clip now, and then we can think about maybe how, how what we're going through right now is also maybe something hopeful if you kind of put this framework within what we're going through now. So let me just uh, play this one clip. One of the things that Jason and I were thinking about, and we'd love to get your take on, is... Our country is so divided, obviously. Take a drink. Time out. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, I think one thing about our Peace Corps service, I would venture that most of us are at least somewhat aligned politically, maybe not 100%, but the maybe not. Like no, maybe. I think there was I think there was a good mix in our group. There were, there were definitely guys that wanted to be kind of career, you know, politicians and on the right. You know, sure, we were friends with people that we probably wouldn't have been friends with. I feel like if people had more of those types of experience, or if you had like mandatory service, anything 
just go to the government and do some work. You know, do some I work for. I got a. I got a theory. Go about for it. This. Tell, tell us. Tell us. So the first, my I guess my perspective is a little bit more. I wouldn't say it's more compassionate, but it's it's just compassionate in the sense that I think these people they don't like themselves very much, and I think it's a good. It's it just feels good when you don't like yourself. It feels good to look at somebody, watch somebody, own somebody else, because then you're not being owned in that moment. So there's kind of this concept of. The more you get beat up, the better you feel because it's somebody else getting beat up. You and you have sort of an excuse when you sit around and listen to Fox News. You have like a reason to feel. You you have an outlet for why you feel shitty about your life and yourself, right? Yeah, and so my my thought there really was like everybody's going through a similar thing, and not just the United States, but globally. And and maybe this is kind of a hopeful sign that this could be a moment where there's more unifying compassion. Because if you think about the fact that when we were Peace Corps volunteers, and we yeah, we did come all come from different parts of the country and had different political beliefs and maybe different religious backgrounds and different goals for being there, you and I would have been, you and I, we, we kind of connected immediately. We were also the same age. So it was kind of like uh, we were the younger ones in the group. Yeah. <laughs> and so just thinking about that, we connected on this shared experience. Also, some of the shared transformations that we're going through, some of the shared challenges we were going through. Now you have not just the country, but the whole world going through a very unique transformative challenge for all human beings. You have to think that people should feel more compassion towards one another. You have to think that that will happen everybody you would hope that that's going to happen right now because you realize that it's not easy and everybody's dealing with it differently i I hope people believe that uh yeah it's a nice sentiment um (laughs) you're like but no but 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 no samir it's not (laughs) well well, i i guess what's going through my mind is i'm i'm no longer surprised by the fact that there are lots of powerful groups out there that can't feel compassion for you know, other human beings um, that are mm-hmm. suffering because of whatever their differences are. I guess that's that's probably more aligned <laughs> with what Arabi was saying. But I was just like, yeah. Right. But uh, to your point, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning is unfortunately a series of a lot of tragic, you know, events is causing people to rise up. And the, the one thing that I do think is that the, there is a majority of people out there that are basically good. I mean, I do have faith in that most human beings are good people. But right now, and it's been the last three and a half years, and it's not just the last three and a half years, we have been experiencing a you know, world uh, that has opened the door to this more negative. Um, it's almost like, ne- it's, it's like negative energy. Yeah, exactly. It's and, like pe- people are like opportunistically putting negative energy out there. Because of the way the content can can make them right can, can and, make and them I money, think, and, and there's a sort of a, the sleeping giant is becoming awake, and the giant is the majority of people who are starting to unify and come together and completely rejecting that, and the hope is that it isn't just a blip in our history that it has some lasting effect to silence that kind of stuff, right? Not hurting these people, but hopefully changing their perceptions, changing maybe their younger generation's perceptions, getting to their younger generations earlier to say, look, that's, you know, that's flawed thinking. That's, 
uh, hate and violence and bigotry and division is ultimately more costly in terms of human life and economics and everything else than actually trying to work together. Yeah, it's like it's it's funny. It's like it's the hope and the fear. The hope is that it isn't. Yeah. The hope is that it isn't a blip, and the fear is that it is a blip. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of tied tied in together. Um, the hopes. Yeah, and well, the fears. I mean, they're making documentaries now on you know comparing our time right now, the late nineteen sixties, and the civil rights movement, and just the the unrest. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just the civil rights movement; that was a big part of it. And I'm like, God, what progress have we made? You know, in 40 plus years, 50 years. You know, to quote, to paraphrase Neil deGrasse Tyson, this is barely a blip. In, yes. in the in the, in the annals of human human history, so it really is all connected. We, we, it's all one time, and and even if you think about, um, uh, Chappelle had something that came out uh, yesterday or two days ago. If you haven't seen it, I'll send you the clip. But it's it just came out like a couple nights ago, and one of the things there is that he was talking about when when uh, George Floyd, you know, when he died, he was you know, we called for his mother 15 times. And he said he, he did that because he knew he was going to die. And I want to paraphrase, uh, you can listen to uh, uh, the Chappelle clip, but he basically was talking about how it's the same thing that his father did when his father was about to die, but calling for his grandmother and his mm-hmm. father's grandmother was a slave. So Chappelle's great grandmother was. And so this is not, this is all the same time still. We're still living in the same time. And so it's, it's like, just because it seems like a long time for us and it happened before mm-hmm. we died. Like if you think about the Roman era, it spans 400, 500 years. So mm-hmm. everybody that lived in that lived in the same time period. And, and mm-hmm. when they look back on, on us, you know, human history, hopefully they look upon us favorably. And it is, it's, right. we are still an extension of the rest of, of the rest of this country's history. So, and yeah. we still, we still are an experiment. So, and, and a Peace Corps, of course, is a, a, a great part of that experiment. <laughs> Hopeful one. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. And, uh, you, you come out on the other end a bit stronger, maybe a little bit wiser, maybe a bit more experienced, obviously. And, you know, again, hopefully we can do the same thing, um, as a, as a wider group coming out of this. It's essentially, it's forcing things to, to change. My point is, hopefully we can um, see it last longer and stay, right? But you know, good point. You're right. 50 years is nothing compared to like a 400-year sort of era. Anyway, we got one more clip. So you want to do the lead yeah. in on this one? Sure. So Arabi started talking about Joseph Campbell and uh, the hero's journey. And Tamir and I both kind of uh, latched on to that because... The Hero's Journey, if you're not familiar with it, is essentially a um, it's a description of the commonalities of mythology in terms of a transformative process for an individual that starts out with the status quo at home and essentially goes on some kind of an adventure, has an experience, and then comes back to his home environment and creates some new status quo. I'm, I'm really giving it high cliff notes there. But we all were referencing that with our Peace Corps experience of, you know, you go in, you sort of don't know what's going to happen, you're optimistic, and you're excited, and then you start to learn a little bit about some of the challenges, and you go into this transitional curve of, like, wow, can I really do this? And you maybe start to sink down. And then on the other side of it, you come back up because you are more informed and then you, you, you gain your optimism. 
Um, but you know, there's some similarities there. And anyway, let's play the clip and then maybe we can discuss a little more. Right. But this is what I'm going to say about this. So there's, have you guys ever read, um, uh, Joseph Campbell, you read this guy? <laughs> no, no, well, this would be maybe back in the day. I don't know, but he, uh, he, he's, he actually really influenced, uh, George Lucas for like kind of the whole star Wars stuff, which is just one of the best books you could ever read. Power of Myth, super easy read. And if you don't want to read the book, the book is actually just direct. It was power, myth? The power of Power of Myth. The Power of Myth. Yeah. And if you don't want to read the book, the book is actually just a transcribed interview with Joseph Campbell and I uh, can't remember, it was a PBS thing, actually. And so they just transcribed uh, the text of the book. So you can actually watch the um the interviews and it was a series of interviews that they did at skywalker ranch right and and so basically he talks about the power of myth like in terms of shaping a society which is what you're talking about right and the there's what's what's called the hero's journey which the hero's journey is basically dominated American cinema forever, right? Mm-hmm. And and so you will recognize uh, Finding Nemo, let's say, sure. uh, where, you, where you have, you know, this guy, he loses something, he kind of gets popped out of his little comfort zone, goes out into the world, learns about the whole world, gets all these new skills, uh, learns all these new things, and then eventually returns back home and all that knowledge and sort of insights and experience then gets sort of re-injected into the place where he came from, right? So he comes back as a, he or she, whoever the hero is, comes back as a different person. And then that influence affects their home community and things get better, right? And so that's kind of a little bit about uh, what the Peace Corps is about. The Peace Corps is about sending Americans abroad, kind of checking out other cultures, learning different languages, and then coming back and, you know, reassimilating to the U.S. And reassimilating is more, I don't know, just like enriched citizens that have this kind of better world view, right? So that's one of the reasons why we all went, we come back, and we still, you know, obviously we love our country, but we're all kind of open-minded to all sorts of other bullshit. And what doesn't happen in this country is when somebody leaves Kansas and goes to New York and makes it big, they never fucking go back to Kansas and they never go back to Oklahoma and they never go back to all these little one horse towns that they came from. So nobody's going back. I'm not going back to Forest Grove, Oregon. <laughs> and actually, I remember us talking about that, even yeah. like it, you know, when we were in the Peace Corps. Sure. Um, about, you know, like say Bolivian nationals that have the opportunity to go out of their country to go get an education and then not coming back, you know, and that's, that's, sure. a, you know, development work that that's a thing. But um, yeah, I, I liked the uh, intrigued me, the hero's journey. And I, you know, as, as he had talked about that and I looked into it more, there's, you know, there's something there. There is a pattern there. What's what's the analogy for what we're going through right now? So like, if you take there's there's like you come back, you reassimilate well, back into a new world, or do you re do you not a new status quo? <laughs> so the the hero's journey really starts with the status quo, right? And then yeah. it, and then it ends with a new status quo because you've gone through this process, trials and tribulations, near death experience. You learn new skills. You come out on the other side and you've tested yourself and you're able to 
sort of create a new status quo. That's kind of what it is. Now, that's sort of like an individual's hero story. But if you look at that for what we're all going through right now, and by all of us, I mean, you know, the globe, we're going through some kind of a journey right now. And, and this gets back to our last little conversation about, hey, maybe on the other, you know, if we're looking for some silver lining here and some potential positive, it's, hey, hopefully, right? Hope among hope. On the other end, we can create some new status quo. Well, let's uh, let's end on that positive note. That's that's a good thought there, and for me, that was a, just a, an awesome chance to to reconnect back with Araby. And, oh, uh, such a fun conversation. Yeah, I mean, he's such a good, <laughs> such a great guy to hang out with there. And so many thanks to Araby Patch, and just generally, if you made it this far, I guess thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Anything? <laughs> any last words, Jason? Before we end this off? No, man. I just say. Um... Look for more, look for fun future shows where our yeah. format is to go out and have a conversation with folks that we experience something unique with and then ultimately brings bits and pieces of that conversation to light. So we're really looking forward to, we got several people lined up already and uh, um, yeah, stay tuned. You've been listening to the Bolivia 12 podcast. Produced by Samir Saluja and Jason Phillips in honor of all of our Bolivian friends and all returned Peace Corps volunteers that served in Bolivia. If you would like to be a part of one of our future episodes, please reach out. <laughs>